Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look at your Son's promise to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples, we ask that you send the same Spirit to work through the words of today's sermon so that we may have complete trust in your word and confidence as we use it. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. To remind you of that account, I will read the first verse. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in our second lesson from Revelation chapter 21, we saw a beautiful picture of the invisible church. And on every side there was three gates. Now our God is triune. You don't get into heaven by ignoring one member of the Trinity. All three have work to do. God the Father arranged your life and and provided for you hearing the word. Jesus purchased and won you. The Holy Spirit enters your heart and gives you faith. Now he's talking to his 11, 11 disciples who have faith. It's a weak and confused faith, but the Holy Spirit's there. They believe he's the Messiah. They're just confused what kind of Messiah he is. It's Monday, Thursday. He's already instituted the Lord's Supper, celebrating the Passover. He begins this speech that he gives the disciples in the upper room. Obviously, Judas Iscariot has departed to betray him. And he leaves the room as he continues the conversation. Today's sermon is part of that conversation. Stopping at the Kidron Valley to say his high priestly prayer. Then he'll enter Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed. So he knows if you're going to get into that gate, he has to die for your and my sins. And he has to rise again. But these disciples have been diligently, faithfully following him for 11 years. So he gives them words of comfort because things are about to get messy, right? Like mom and dad leaving their little child who's never been separated from mom and dad before, leaving him with grandma who the child doesn't know is going to spoil him rotten. But he says, it's okay, I'll be back. But Jesus' it's okay, I'll be back is, it's good for you that I'm leaving. Because in my leaving, not only will I purchase and win you, but it will give you a special presence, a presence you cannot have with me on this side of the cross. And so today, as we look to what's going to happen Thursday, Christ's ascension, we see Christ's ascension bring God's special presence to us. Now, as I already read, this is part of a longer conversation, and he said he was going to appear again to the disciples, to the apostles. And Judas, not Iscariot, Judas was a pretty common name, uh, one of the other disciples says, Lord, why to us and not the whole world? And Jesus answers his question by saying, If anyone continues loving me, says the inspired Greek language, then he will most certainly observe my word. Whoa, what? There it is, brothers and sisters in Christ. Recall that John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the spokesman of the Trinity, the Trinity that works to put us into that invisible church, the New Jerusalem. And so he says, if you continue loving him, to continue loving him means that we listen to his word. We most certainly observe it. The word used there is a word to keep an eye on and guard all at the same time, like a precious jewel or a wedding ring that you make sure is always there on your finger and not falling off. So we constantly are coming to the word. Wow. When we are in the Word, we get a special presence of Christ. Jesus, the Word, the spokesman of the Trinity, 
is talking to you. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago on Good Shepherd Sunday, our Sunday school sang, I am Jesus, little lamb. And Jesus used their mouths to tell you that you are his lamb. We get a special presence of Christ when we hear his word. And so the opposite of that is verse 24. The one who does not continue loving me does not keep on observing my words. Now, we could miss this. At first, he says, the one who continues loving to me observes my word, singular. Here, he says, the one who doesn't continue loving me does not observe my words. There's a special lesson here. At first, he treats his word as a singular, like the Bible. There it is. But then here he breaks it down to its individual components. Those who continue loving Christ, truly love him, will observe every one of his teachings. Remember that when he ascended, he told the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. If his special presence comes from his word, then we don't pick and choose his word, do we? We don't decide, well, you know, I'm going to pit his word against itself. Many modern theologians do this, and Christians, sadly, and they shouldn't. They say, well, God says to love one another, and it would be unloving of somebody, of me, to point out to somebody a sin. Therefore, we'll ignore their sin and say it's completely okay. That's pitting God's word against itself. It does not contradict itself. We cannot love without God's word, without his Holy Spirit, without his blood, without being united to Christ. Never does God's word contradict itself. It seems to, but it never does. And so we don't pick and choose, pick and choose, sorry, his word. We listen to all of it and we get this special presence. And he has a connection with that. He says, and the word which you are hearing is not my own. It is of the father who sent me. As I said, we don't get into the invisible church without the work of all three members of the Trinity. It was God the Father's plan to send Jesus into your life. It is God the Father's plan every time you hear that word that you have that special presence of Jesus that comes from hearing his word. He says to the disciples, I've spoken these things to you while I remain beside you. Again, because I'm about to leave. Now, if you allow me to skip to verse 28, he says, You yourselves heard that I said on my part to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. Okay, That that seems to contradict itself. I'm going away and I'm coming to you. He's going away, he's going to die, he's going to rise again. But in his dying and rising, he's going to give a special presence, not just in the word, with the apostles, with everyone who believes in him, that only comes through his departure. How can that be? He says, if you were loving me, then you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. Now, Jesus, when he took on human flesh, he was God, remains God, who took on human flesh. He doesn't use all the powers of his godhood. So while he's not using all of his godhood, he's lesser than the Father. They don't play a a match over who's greater than the rest. But if he leaves the disciples, if he ascends and goes to heaven, he will in that he will take on the full powers of his godhood and thereby he will have a special presence. Now he's physically with them, but as true God ruling over all creation, using all of his powers of his godhood again, he will unite them with him. 
And so I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. He would confirm their faith and that faith would be confirmed because they would be united to him. Like a branch to a vine, when you graft something together, we're going to get into that here more in just a second. So we see Christ's ascension brings God's special presence to us, a presence that Jesus gives through his word, but it's also a presence of being united to him in a very special way. Again, verse 23, Jesus answered by saying to him, if anyone continues loving me, then he will most certainly observe my word and my father will certainly love him and we will most certainly come to him and we will most certainly make our home beside him. He's talking to believers. You can't love God unless the Holy Spirit who we're going to get to is already in your heart. Otherwise, we can only despise God according to our sinful nature. It's what makes it our sinful nature. Continuing to love. He's talking to disciples. We're going to come and we're going to make our home beside him. Both Jesus and the Father. The Holy Spirit they already have in their hearts. They're believers. Now, it's kind of interesting. The preposition here isn't just in, it's beside. So the way I picture this, sometimes you buy pre-made homes and it comes down the highway in two halves. But when you put the two halves together, then they're cemented together and you have one home. This special presence of Jesus is not just in his word. His, the Holy Spirit works through the word that you believe it. Once you believe it, you continue loving, you continue coming to that word. And Jesus, not, and not just Jesus, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are united to you, making one home beside you, like a branch grafted to the vine. So, this is how you are eternally alive. Christ's death is your death. Christ, you don't feel this presence. We get caught up a lot on emotions. We want to feel happy, we want to feel sad. You don't feel it, you don't see it. But your soul is intimately connected to Christ now so that he says you are his body. And that's a special comfort for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. When you hurt, when those crosses come upon you, when you're persecuted for your faith, when you're worried, when you're anxious, Jesus literally, he feels your pain. Not just because he took on human flesh, but because you are connected to him. Our sinful nature fights this connection, so we don't realize it, but it is clearly there. When I was a child in Sunday school, I'd been given this picture that used to hang above my closet, because I was afraid of the boogeyman who doesn't exist, and, and this, this picture did it for me. There's these two kids are walking at night, and the trees, they, they look like scary, they kind of drew scary mouths on them and stuff. But Jesus, they can't see him, is walking right next to him, and so the kids aren't afraid. But it's not just Jesus. He's there. He's connected to you like that home that, that's been put together. The Father is too. That new person inside of you that is eternally alive, that is already in the new Jerusalem, that is God the Father's glory. You're connected that intimately to Him. He's not just your daddy. He's your life. He's right there. Amazing. All we have to do, like I would do when I was a kid, to look at that picture is it, when, when, when things are bothering us, worried about losing our jobs, when we're worried about diseases and illnesses, all we have to do is stop and say, I don't see it and I don't, I, I, I don't feel it, but God's right here, united to me, welded beside me. And so we see Christ's ascension in a state of humiliation. He could not give this special presence. We envy the disciples because they got to stand right next to Jesus. Once they understood it, they said, oh, this is better. Jesus is literally connected to me, and so is the Father. Christ's ascension brings God's special presence to us, a presence that Jesus gives through his word, a presence with the Father. 
And he says in verse 25, I've spoken to these things while I remain beside you. Now the counselor, and the Greek word that's used for counselor is one called to the side to help. That is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send only within the confines of my name. Now they already are believers, they already have the Holy Spirit, but this is going to be a special coming of the Holy Spirit. And notice Jesus says the Father only sends him within the confines of my name. The Holy Spirit only comes through that word, which is the word of Christ. He only works through that. You don't get the Holy Spirit by going off into a, into a desert island and just contemplating creation. You get it through Christ's word. And when he comes, he doesn't just come to create faith. He doesn't just come to connect you with Jesus so that you get that blood of Christ. He's like the handcuffs so that you're beside him. He comes to help you. Now think about this. In the apostles' case, this is going to be important because Jesus has been telling them all this stuff. Even this isn't sticking with them. It comes as a shock when he's betrayed. And he just told them, I'm going to be leaving you. So the Holy Spirit's going to come with special gifts and remind them. Ah, there it is. Important for you and I because the Bible is his word. The Holy Spirit is the one author of the Bible. He reminded them. Their memories weren't screwed up when they wrote this down. He inspired them. He is the one author. And it is the word of Jesus. And he would give them other gifts. That night, those men, Jesus still right there physically with them that they could see. They'll betray and run off. But with this special coming of the Holy Spirit, they will boldly proclaim, even die rather than deny the Lord. The Holy Spirit gave them special gifts. And so we see Christ's ascension brings God's special presence to us, a presence that Jesus gives through his word, a presence with Jesus and the Father, and a presence with the Holy Spirit. And that means a presence of many comforting gifts from God, extra gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. Again, verse 26, Now the Counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send only within the confines of my name, that Counselor will teach all things to you and remind you of everything which I myself spoke. I'm leaving peace for you. I'm giving my own peace to you, not the way the world gives am I on my part giving to you. Do not let your hearts be in toil, turmoil, nor be afraid. Brothers and sisters in Christ, The Holy Spirit gave them extra special gifts and reminded them, and you and I have them. Oh, yes, we have natural gifts. It's wonderful to see people in their natural gifts do things to help keep our building and and, and help serve our members. Every one of you has at least one spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. This really became clear to me at church in in Cheyenne. There used to be a man who uh, mentally challenged, I forget what the politically correct term is now, But the guy, when you came in, you knew somebody was glad to see you and loved you for being there. That man had a spiritual gift that all of us benefited from. You have at least one of those spiritual gifts. One of the great gifts Jesus gives, like I said, mom and dad leaving out on a date for the night. Maybe now the kid's a teenager. says, you know, we're leaving you, but we've left dinner. Pizza's, Pizza's right there on the table. Jesus says, I've left something behind for you. I've left peace. He says, this isn't the kind of peace that the world gives. How does the world give peace? Well, sometimes we think if I had enough money, then I could afford the nice vehicles and I could afford the nice home and my stress would go away. I'm just so stressed. When we get that money, we find we're stressed trying to keep it. When stock markets crash, we find we're stressed. That, that's the world, the world gives and it takes away. And if we're talking about an absence of strife such as war, 
Men make contracts and then they break them. The world's peace is conditional, it's temporary, and boy does it take it back. The peace Jesus gives you in this wonderful connection of the Trinity that is now united to you, beside you, wedded to you, is that you know no matter what happens in this life, like I said in that kid's picture, God is right there with you. Jesus feels your pain. He's not going to let you suffer things unless he can use it for your good. And no matter what happens, because you're united to him, you are in that invisible Jerusalem that's in Revelation chapter 21. Because you're in the invisible church. It gives us a peace. No matter what happens at us in this life, we say, God, God has got me right here. He's wrapped me tight in his hands. He's wedded beside me, welded to me. I'm going to be okay. And that's the peace we have. If I'm going to suffer hardship, God has good in mind for me. And if I'm going to go to heaven, God has got me. I'm going to be okay. Jesus was telling the disciples this. They would learn this when the Holy Spirit came. And yes, they'll celebrate it 10 days later on Pentecost, which is just two weeks away when the Holy Spirit came and the flaming tongues came. So Christ was assuring them before his death, before his ascension, that it was a good thing for them that he was going because he would take up the full powers of his godhood and it would give them a special presence that's actually even better than having him right there in the state of his humiliation. And so today we've seen Christ's ascension brings God's special presence to us, a presence that Jesus gives through his word, a presence that means we are united with God the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, And this presence gives many comforting gifts from our triune God. Amen. And now God, by his counsels, guide, uphold you, and with his sheep, securely fold you. Amen.